And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is The Travel Show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be discussing travel. And that is a conversation that you can join. We love to get questions from listeners about travel live on this show. And we also sometimes find guests in the travel industry who have something interesting to say about trends or new products that can change travelers' lives. So if you're interested in being on the show, email me at uh, FromerTravelShow at Yahoo.com. We also hope that you'll just come visit with us, even if you don't want to be on the show. You can do that at Fromers.com. That's our website. We're very proud of it. Gets about 3 million unique users per month uh, who come there because you can get so much great travel information there. And one of the pieces of information that we have on the site currently is our big article of the year. This is something we work on for months. We poll all of the Fromers authors who are journalists who are embedded around the world and we ask them what are going to be the really exciting destinations to go to in the coming year which places have special events which are suddenly affordable or much more convenient where are the places to go and now pauline we have a little list that was created by the former authors who are scattered all over the world most of them living in the very cities that they write about for their travel guides which we sell in the bookstores of america so you started that little list a week or so ago what today are you going to add to that list so we're going to add we're going to tell you about this for a couple of weeks so everybody wants to go to peru and to do the inca trail to machu picchu that has led to unfortunately huge crowds on the trail Uh, in 2019 4.4 million visitors went to peru and it's just getting a little too crazy and so what the Peruvians are doing, and we actually think this is a great idea, they are pushing a different trek. It's called the Ausungate trek, which is spelled A-U-S-U-N-G-A-T-E, and it goes through uh, southern Peru's lesser visited regions, but it has as much impact. Um, you can either do it by horseback or by riding, uh, by horseback or by trekking. Um, it's named after the sacred Asongati Peak, which is the highest mountain in the region. And at the very beginning of the trek, a local, local shaman blesses every trekker. And you get a special meal, uh, which is a meat and potatoes meal, but it's cooked underground. And then you spend about a week uh, going by high mountain passes, past turquoise lakes, watching condors soar overhead and, and passing ancient glaciers. 
you visit a lot of traditional Andean villages where people still dress in that very color, you know, those very colorful fabrics that, that you see in pictures of Peru. They don't wear those for the tourists. These are Andean villages that are living in a way they have for centuries. And one of the highlights is you go to a place called Rainbow Mountain. It's this national, natural geologic phenomenon where this mountain has all of these different layers of sediment that are ochre and rust colored and dark brown and white and all in different layers. So it kind of looks like there's a, a rainbow overlaying the mountain, but it's absolutely natural. This, like Machu Picchu, has become one of Peru's top sites, and it too gets inundated by visitors. But if you do this particular trek, you get there early in the morning before the tour buses (laughs) have arrived. And so you can see this great wonder uh, without having to do it in in the midst of a huge crowd. Uh, so that's one of the places. Does that does that surprise you, Dad, that that was one of the picks? I can't wait to get there, Pauline. I, can't, <laughs> I literally can't. I, I had never heard of this giant mountain that, that exists in Peru, you, you, but anything that is a, an alternative to Machu Picchu is something that has my attention. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, and it, it, it's a it's a wonderful place to go if you're interested in Peruvian culture. Something that's harder to see nowadays on the Incan uh, trek. We also took into account that foodieism is a huge force in shaping where people want to go nowadays. So we decided that one of our destinations should be the place in the world where you can eat best. <laughs> and I can't I can't wait to hear where can you eat best, Pauline? Emilia Romana. The region really? of Emilia Romana of Italy. in Italy, its city is Bologna, another oh. town is Parma, uh, Modena, as in the vinegar, right. is there. This is the place where all of those goodies have been made for centuries. So the best cured ham, Parmesan cheese, incredible wines, uh, and even the Italians, they call Bologna, which is the capital of the region of Emilia Romana, they call it Bologna the Fat because uh-huh. they feel that Bologna has the best food in all of Italy. And for a country like Italy to say that, you know okay. it's true. But it's also a region with gorgeous cathedrals with the Ferrari factories and you can do tours and watch Ferrari automobiles you know going down the the assembly line uh, with incredible museums Bologna itself is a centuries old university town Uh, so so it's just it's a lot of fun so the the region of Emilia Romana and, and we're also picking it because it's not getting inundated by tourists but so it, many it, it other is places obviously are. chosen by the Italians themselves as a place that they have to go to at some point in their lives right. they, they refer to Bologna as the site of the best food in all of Italy well, that's this is, saying a lot yeah this is written by Elizabeth Heath who is married an Italian she's originally from the United States and she's one of our authors and she's one of our authors and she talks about how there's a museum dedicated to a specific cut of pure, cured pork 
pork. That's how <laughs> obsessed they are with food there. So we're saying the the region of uh, Emilia Romana will make a great great vacation. We're also saying, how about the Big Island of Hawaii? Two years ago, the Big Island was on the news most every night because of its massive volcanic explosions from the, the, the volcano there that's at the centerpiece of Volcanoes National Park. That's all calmed down, but now the, the park has been totally reshaped. It looks like a different park. Uh, in fact, in the center of it, there is now uh, this 1.5 mile wide and 1,600 foot deep, a new lake that is forming in the middle of the park. And you go and you see traffic signs sticking out of rock because 10 feet below, before the volcanic flow had happened, there had been a highway. And so it's this really interesting time to be there because finally they're kind of getting everything back. Places that had to close because of the volcanic eruption are now reopening. Some have been improved. Um, Nearby hotels have taken the time off to to really up their game. Uh, So it's a really, really interesting time to be on the Big Island. Um, And I got to say, the Big Island is one of my favorite places in Hawaii. It's just, it is so big, so there's so many different parts to it. You have these black sand beaches, you go up into the mountains, and it looks like you're in Montana, because there are all of these cattle ranching and farms. And Pauline, it is the site of, of Hawaiian cowboys. Yes, called the Paniolos, yeah. Right. And, and it has one of the greatest observatories on the planet, where scientists are looking deep into the galaxy, and that is open for people. To visit. Uh, So we are saying go to Hawaii this year. It's going to be really, really unusual. It's going to be surprising. If you have traveled to the Big Island before, it's time to go back because Hawaii, uh, Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, which is one of the great national parks, looks totally different because the volcano uh, reshaped it. We're also leaving open, as I spoke about last week, we're leaving open one of the slots on our list. We've picked 19 places to go. And for those tuning in late, I'm talking about the Fromers Best Places to Go in 2020 list, which you can see on Fromers.com. And you can also contribute this year. If you have an idea of a place that everybody should know about, but nobody does, we are asking you to go to our site and vote for it. It's absolutely free. No charge to do so. No charge for anything on Fromers.com. And we're journalistically based. But if you have a place that you really think deserves the attention or is going to have a really great celebration in 2020, perhaps an anniversary or some kind of special thing happening or if prices have suddenly cratered and it's finally more affordable to go there, we hope you'll help all of our readers and listeners by going to fromers.com slash best places 2020 and registering your vote. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to The Travel Show. You know, when we go out and see the world, sometimes we want to also do something that's active on our vacations. To help us with that, we have Jen Barger. She just wrote a really great article uh, for the Washington Post called Forget Souvenir Shopping. These destinations let you craft your own meaningful memento. Jen, how did you get the idea for this article? You know, I was in Laws a couple of years ago, and there's a wonderful place there called Ock Pop Talk, which um, I believe means East Meets West, and it's a it's a weaving and um, dyeing collective right on the banks of the Mekong. And not only do they employ a bunch of women artisans from uh, surrounding villages and men artisans, I, I think, um, they also teach lessons in things like silk weaving or basket weaving or dyeing things from natural materials. And I took that class, and it was hard. It, it was fun, but it was hard. And huh? I, I kind of, yeah, I had that in my back pocket that I really enjoyed that. And so I've been experiences like that as I've traveled ever since. So you've been doing, so you did, you know, one of these experiences you have in in your article is the John C. Campbell Folk School, which is someplace I've actually been. Um, a cool. Have you been? I have seen it, but I haven't done a class there. It's very near my in-laws' house. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's an amazing place because not only do they teach folk crafts uh, like weaving and I I tried to take metalworking, uh, but and it was me in a class with all of these huge men. You know, everybody seemed to be over six feet tall and mostly muscle, and I didn't realize how hard metal, metalworking, you know, you think of the Greek myths and you think of the big guy with the, that's what it's like. You have a hammer and you have to make metal bend. Um, but uh, other people were doing more delicate arts, like uh, silk make, like lace making and painting and photography and that's that sort of thing, uh, and uh, it was really an incredibly moving place to visit because all of the my fellow guests were so in love with the arts they were doing, and they really tied it into the culture. Every morning started with a performance. There would either be a storyteller or a musician, and you would have a little art in that way before you went to breakfast. Is that common at these uh, different art schools? Well, I think, and it, it kind of depends. There are places like uh, like the Campbell School, and there are a couple other ones in the U.S. Um, but but some of these places, uh, for instance, at Op, Oc, at, the, at the place I went to in Laos, they have lunch. Uh, you know, so they also have sort of the art of cooking included. But some of these places are um, are just you can go and almost have a mini apprentice with an artist. There's a relatively recently um, launched program. It's called Vacation with an Artist, and it's this place that matches you up. Say you've always wanted to learn Indonesian puppet making <laughs> or bamboo bicycle making, which mm. I guess really is a thing wow. in India. They'll they'll match you up with um, with an artisan for three or four days, and you'll spend a couple hours a day with this person, and and they'll teach you their craft. So you can really get immersed in their lives. We're speaking uh, with Jen Barger, who has a terrific article out now in the Washington Post. You can get it online. It's called "Forget Souvenir Shopping: 
These destinations let you craft your own meaningful memento. Now, you do say in the piece that for a lot of these schools, you as the traveler are going to have to take care of your own room and board. Because at John C. Campbell, it was all included. I mean, you, you got the classes yeah, and they had a place for you to stay. And et now, I think that some of them, you can, for instance, that vacation with an artist, you are responsible for getting your own lodging. I think the company will help you find a place. But some of these things, it's not just if you really want to hardcore get into Indian block printing um, outside of Jaipur. It can be like the Corning Glass Museum, um, which is you know, close to a lot of people or close-ish to a lot of people on the East Coast, you can drop in there and you can do something for half a day. Um, and they also have longer workshops um, if for people who want to get more serious about glass blowing or glass uh, casting. So, so I think it's... the. The nice thing is you can you can kind of do as little or as much as as you like. And can you be as expert or as fumbling as you like too? I mean, this isn't oh just my. for people who do this, you know, Indian block printing in Wisconsin, right? Um, no, no, I, and so I think that but a lot of the things. I mean, I found silk weaving to be challenging. I'm totally glad I did it, but I wasn't like I'm going to take this up as a hobby when I get home. <laughs> but I think some of the things are particularly, say, the block printing in India. My understanding is, you know, they've prepared the fabric for you, and you're just and they've carved the block that you're carving from. You know, you you pick a block and you're stamping it. So you're oftentimes you're getting to experience part of the process, but you're not necessarily you're not necessarily creating you're not creating something totally from scratch. Right, um, right. And some of the things would be expensive to do on your own. Like one of the uh, things that you can do, and I think this sounds fabulous, is you can learn leather making, making leather crafts in Italy. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, doesn't that sound fabulous? Um, so that's in Florence. It was this school created after World War II in Florence for a lot of um, war orphans um, to hmm. teach them a trade. And so that has morphed into a place where you can go in and you can you can take a, a part of a day class and learn to make a belt, or you can, you can apprentice, um, not, I don't even know if apprentice is the word, but you can go in there and take a longer class in bag making, you know, so you enroll in like a six or seven week bag making workshop and craft your own pseudo Ferragamo. Hmm. So, um, yeah, amazing. Yeah, so that's, that's really neat. And I love the fact that one of your places is in Morocco, because when you go to Morocco, you are just assaulted in a good way by all of these artisanal crafts that you buy usually. But here in Morocco, and they're gorgeous, you can buy, you can learn how to make pottery. I know, and I thought that that place, uh, Beldi Country Club, which is on the outskirts um, or the suburbs of Marrakesh, if you will, that it's really, it's another thing where you don't do all of it. They, you know, you, you either spin or form. Um, mm. But you form get to do enough. Like, yeah. But it's a wonderful, it. it's a wonderful piece. Once again, it's called Forget Souvenir Shopping. These destinations let you craft your own meaningful memento. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Thank you, Pauline.
Welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my dad, Arthur Fromer, and we have somebody who we also consider a member of the family on the line. She is Diana Schwamm, and we're very proud to say that she writes the best darn book about New Orleans that's on sale today. It's called Fromer's Easy Guide to New Orleans. She also writes Fromer's Day by Day New Orleans. Welcome, Diana. So nice to talk with you. Nice to talk with you, too, Pauline and Arthur and everyone. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. (laughs) Well, of course. Uh, So there has been an interesting new development in that uh, New Orleans has gotten a better children's museum. Is that fair to say? Well, they've always had a good children's museum, but it's recently been rebuilt and relocated in the center of beautiful City Park, and it's a magnificent, ground-up, gorgeous new uh, facility. Um, it's generally recommended for kids ages from, from very young toddlers up to about 12, uh-huh. uh, but I think it's great for adults, too, and it's really geared toward uh, parents and caregivers being able to facilitate fun learning with kids that doesn't really feel like learning, but it's a beautiful facility, and I highly recommend it for everyone. You know, obviously there are families that live in New Orleans, and they'll make good use of this, but the reason we're talking about it on the travel show is New Orleans can be a surprisingly great destination for kids, right? It really can, and people don't think of it that way. No, not at all. Reputation, of course. Oops, sorry so much. (laughs) That's Uh, all right. But, uh, but it absolutely is. There's a lot of things to do with kids. And uh, one of the best ones, believe it or not, is Mardi Gras. People don't think of that as mm. a family event. No. But in New Orleans, it absolutely is. And in the book, I go into quite a bit of detail about uh, how to do that as a family. Um, it's a great tradition for families in New Orleans and even for visiting families as well. Well, what are, but, what are some of the ways that, that new, you can make? I mean, obviously, you don't want to... Get a girls gone wild experience right. in front of your children. How do you avoid that? Well, a lot of it depends on where you are. Um, uptown along St. Charles Avenue and the uptown parade routes is really where the families congregate. Downtown, it gets a little wilder, so you want to avoid that. Uh-huh. Um, but you'll see families out there with picnics, and a lot of the kids bring. Uh, special ladders. The local kids have special ladders that they get on so they can get above the crowds and catch those throws. Oh, catch the beads. Uh, yeah, <laughs> dressing up for kids and uh, bring something to put to put all your, your goodies in because you will catch stuff off those right. off those floats. And that's fun. That's and really that's fun. fun. And bring, uh, you know, bring goodies for your kids to snack on. Uh, make sure that you scope out where there's a local restroom you can use. So, you know, there's Normal things that moms and dads and caregivers do. Um, when I was there last, I went to Preservation Hall, and I actually saw some kids in the cl- in the crowd. For those who don't know Preservation Hall, it's the home of New Orleans jazz. It's this classic, ancient-looking spot. In fact, most of the people stand and listen to the music, but the musicians just blow the roof off the place, and the kids I was there with were loving it. They're really engaged. It's amazing. And uh, one of the wonderful things about Preservation Hall is it's all ages. There's no alcohol or food served. Right. It's just about the music. It's not even amplified music. It's a little... It's a tiny room. room. Yeah. Yeah. Kids can sit on the floor um, and kind of, you know, clap along, dance along as they see fit. I also give um, some recommendations 
in the Easy Guide to New Orleans about several other clubs that are kid-friendly, mm. um, especially earlier in the day before things get wild in the clubs. There's quite a few where you can bring your kids to and introduce them to all types of the music that's available in New Orleans. We're speaking with Diana Schwamm. She is, we are very proud to say, the author of Fromer's Easy Guide to New Orleans and Fromer's New Orleans Day by Day, two great guidebooks. Um, so let's talk about what is new in New Orleans, because it's a city that's always changing, I think. It is. Well, in addition to the uh, new children's museum in City Park, there's another wonderful attraction in City Park that's not new, but it's greatly expanded, and that is the Bessoff Sculpture Garden. This is a free attraction next to the lovely New Orleans Museum of Art that spans 11 acres, uh, just recently doubled in size to 11 acres, mm. with almost 100 beautiful artworks. And it's just lovely for a stroll, um, and it's all contemporary and modern sculptures. It's really considered one of the finest of its types in the world now uh, with this expansion. So really worthwhile checking out. You could spend a day in City Park, no problem, right. um, with your family or as adults. And, you know, New Orleans, uh, getting off the plane from New York City where it had been bitterly cold into the 70-degree weather of fall, it's the perfect city for a, uh, that's all right, it's the perfect city for a an outdoor sculpture park and for parks to stroll through. I'm going to Minneapolis, which also has a beautiful sculpture park. But I'm not going to see it because it's oh. going to be too darn cold. Well, as long as it's not raining, it's almost temperate uh, all year round. Maybe not this week. That's about the only exception where they're, they're having the freeze, too. Um, but in another new attraction I wanted to mention is called the Sazerac House. And that is indoors, so uh, any time of year. And Sazerac House is a wonderful new uh attraction that is dedicated to the Sazerac, which is the official cocktail of New Orleans. Not the hurricane. I always Not thought... the hurricane. Oh, no. okay. And uh, this is actually encoded in the city's law that it's really? an official cocktail. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's also about spirits of all kinds and how they connect to the city, the history of them, the making of them, and of course the drinking of them. It's a really beautiful uh, restoration of an old building. So it's a museum. Do you, is, does it have a bar in it? Do you get the Sazerac? You don't get, you don't get, uh, there's not a bar, but there are samples and it's free. <laughs> it's 21 or over, of uh. course. Diane, I have to interrupt you. We have to take a short break, but we'll be back with more with Diana Schwamm after these messages. Welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, here with my dad, Arthur Fromer, and on the line is Diana Schwamm. She is the author of Fromer's Easy Guide to New Orleans, as well as Fromer's New Orleans Day by Day, two, I I think, darn good, really great guidebooks to that city. And one of the things that's so much fun about it is Diane... Diana brings the verve and the witty uh, quality that you find in the population there to her writing and to the book. So you, I always feel like I'm 
in New Orleans, whether or not I am, when I'm reading your writing, Diana. You do such a great job. When we left off, we were talking about the Sazerac House, which is a new museum dedicated to cocktail culture and to the Sazerac. Um, And you'll find that in the book. One of the other big things that's happened in New Orleans is they've gotten rid of their stinky old airport and they (laughs) opened a billion dollar new one. How is it? It is beautiful. It just opened uh, November 6th, and it really is the welcome that is proper for visitors coming into New Orleans. Uh, the, The highlight for many of those visitors and even the residents is that the food in the airport is now fantastic. Wow. So whereas it used to be kind of a tradition as you were leaving to go home, you would pick up one last meal to go to have it at the airport or on your flight. Now you can just get to the airport and eat at one of the many local outposts of uh, restaurants there. Who, who, like it, who? Like which restaurants? Well, Emerald has a place. Mm. Uh, the dear departed Leah Chase's family has a place. That's Dookie Spicer, Chase, right? Dookie Chase. It's called Leah's Kitchen. Hmm. Uh, Susan Spicer, oh, wow. who has the wonderful restaurant Bayona in town, has a place at the airport now. And you can even get some downscale food like the famous Lucky Dogs, <laughs> which you see there are carts all around town, uh, as well as some of the drinkeries. Some of the noted drinkeries in town have places at the airport now, like Cure, one of the first craft cocktail places Interesting. in New Orleans. Well, I was on the very last flight out of the old airport, wow. and on the way to the old airport, my taxi driver told me that everybody is really nervous about the new airport, not the airport itself, but the roads leading into it, that they won't be sufficient. What's the news so far on that front? Well, New Orleans likes nothing better than a parade, and we're going to give you a parade trying to get to the airport. <laughs> um, yeah, there are going to be some traffic snafus, and so far, even in this first uh, few weeks of being open... The reports have been mixed. Uh, Mm. There have been some traffic backups, and there are people who sail right through. So do allow a little bit of extra time. Um, Then you you may have previously until they get the kinks worked out. Uh, But once inside the airport, the uh, lines do really quickly getting through TSA and all of that. And one, one little note, if someone's meeting you or dropping you off, they can get a gate pass to get to those great restaurants and have a meal with you. Really? Uh, they're past the TSA gate, so they'll need to go and get a pass. Interesting. But made that available, too. We're speaking with Diana Schwamm, who is the author of Fromer's Easy Guide to New Orleans, a terrific guidebook to the city. I can't let you go without asking you about restaurants. What is the new trend in terms of dining in New Orleans? Well, I always recommend going to some of the old-line wonderful restaurants like Commander's Palace and Galatoire's Casamentos for Oysters. Um, If we can get them, we're having a shortage this year. But the new trend is a lot of mixing in of different types of cuisine with the local Creole traditions and ingredients. Um, Some of the places that are doing that now are Compare La Pan, which opened a couple years ago and, and has won Beard Awards and every other award which mixes in some Caribbean uh, flavor. Mm. May Pop, which I, I just adore, which has some of the Vietnamese and South Asian uh, cuisines mixed in with Creole. And I'll also mention Saffron, which is an Indian-slash-Creole restaurant, which is just divine. 
Um, so there's a lot of that going on, and I really recommend branching out and trying some of the newer cuisines as well as mixing in some of the old-line wonderful restaurants. I'm also loving a new restaurant called Zasu, Z-A-S-U, uh, which is in Mid-City, and another one called Palm and Pine, which is right on Rampart Street at the edge of the French Quarter, some of the newer places that I'm loving. Now, for somebody who's visiting, how, f- how important is it to get advanced reservations? I- it's important. Yeah. I, I mean, you really can't go wrong. It's much safer. It's a popular restaurant town. It's a popular town for sports, conventions, festivals, mm. events. So the restaurants do book up in advance, especially those popular ones. So it's a good idea to get reservations in advance. And, of course, there's plenty of casual fare where you can just walk right in right. and get your po' boys as needed. Sure. Um, and what about sitting at the bar? Do, is that available in most restaurants? Without uh, it res- is available as walk, for, uh, for dining yeah. in a lot of places. And I, I love that, especially for single diners. Yeah. Um, no, it's fun because everybody in New Orleans always has a great story to tell. I, I feel like right. it, New Orleans is our Ireland. You, you have great conversationalists there, as have you been. Thank you so much. We've been speaking Thank with you. Diana Schwamm, the author of Fromer's Easy Guide to New Orleans. Welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. We started the hour talking about uh, the Fromer's Best Places to Go in 2020 list, which is up on Fromer's.com. And we're going to present one more destination. This one was also in the news because President Trump famously said he wanted to buy it. (laughs) I'm talking about Greenland. But the interesting thing is, because of that whole kerfuffle... And I got to say, you know, it's a Danish territory. Uh, the prime minister the, said it's not for sale, Mr. Trump. Uh, so the corollary to this is there's been a huge spike in interest in going to Greenland. And you know what? It's a deserved spike. It is a fascinating place that is really, really green, in, by which I mean it's very undeveloped. It's huge in size, uh, but 80% of it is blanketed by ice. Um, it's filled with these beautiful fjords with glaciers. It's, it burps up more icebergs than anywhere else in the northern hemisphere. So getting around it can be challenging. Uh, there, there aren't that many roads. Many places you either fly to or you take a boat to or you get a pack of sled dogs <laughs> and you get mushing on a sled uh, to go to go around. Uh, but you have this incredible Arctic adventure, one that because of climate change may be changing. This is a place of glaciers that are melting, of permafrost that seems to be less permanent than it was in years past of a really interesting culture of very welcoming people of incredible fresh seafood and natural beauty that won't be the same type of place in a couple of years thanks to climate change it's one of those arctic regions that is 
being changed drastically month by month nowadays. So if you want to see Greenland uh, as Greenland has been for centuries, this is a place you want to get to soon. And as I said at the beginning of the show, we're not the only ones choosing the best places to go in 2020. We want you to do so, too. We chose 19 places that we think are really, really great. But we think that our listeners and our readers may be as well-traveled as we are, may know some hidden spots uh, that make for great vacation destinations that very few people know about or that are suddenly less expensive or uh, that may be having some kind of special celebration in the coming year that will make it really great to go there. So we're inviting you. Please come to fromers.com. That's spelled F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S dot com slash best places 2020. And on that web page, Flick through the, the, the whole list, and on the last page, you'll find a place to vote for your favorite destination. So we hope you'll help us out, help out your fellow travelers, and vote for places that you think will be really great in 2020. And to those who are traveling... We wish you a hearty bon voyage. Bon voyage.